0: The following program is presented by the HTM Podcast Network.
1: What? Well? La grande nuit mange les pamplemousses. La granouille mange les pamplemousses. Huh? This isn't Miss Hoover's class. I do not know this mademoiselle, Hoover of which you speak. What's happening? Where am I? Sacre bleu! What a foolish question! You are at West Springfield Elementary School. West Springfield? I'm at the wrong school. (laughs) En (laughs) Francais.
2: Welcome to another episode of HTM Tech, brought to you by the HTM Podcast Network, also in association with Microplay in Brantford, Ontario, Canada. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter by searching at The HTM Tech Pod. To listen to the podcast, you can find us on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and all those other podcasters out there as well. As always, I am Big Joe. And I'm Money Mike. Yes, another week is coming on in the world of technology here, folks. And this week, I figured we would kick off with our... Good old friends at Facebook and the ongoing shenanigans that are happening there. First up with that, uh, now I'm not sure if this is isolated to the iOS platform. It may be at this point. Facebook turning on the camera when we're scrolling through our news feed. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, not cool, not cool.
0: Yeah, especially in this this whole era of, uh, of Facebook trying to answer, well, and Google as well trying to answer for their their privacy and data breaches and their overreaching collection of data. You have all of these uh, these pundits and organizations calling for more control over this and more more um, transparency over how they collect their data. But and they they say that they they bark like good dogs and they say they're going to do something about it. But then we see mm-hmm. this. We see uh, an article of the Metro. This was on November thirteenth, twenty nineteen. The Facebook app has been quietly turning on people's cameras and freaking them out. And, and like you said, this was specifically uh, related to iPhone. Could have been Android. We haven't seen any reports of that. So, so tell yeah. us, uh, tell us a bit more about this, Joe.
2: I mean, it, it's, uh, it has to do a little bit with the hardware, too, because there's no visual cue or way of knowing if the, the camera's been turned on or not. I mean, it's all being done through software. It's not like there's a little uh, light. Uh, unlike uh, the computer that I have here, uh, you know, the light does come on when the camera is being used. But on mobile devices, on, on cell phones in particular, specifically the iPhone, there's no way of knowing if the camera's on or not. Absolutely. The only way people found this
0: was by accident. Basically, they were scrolling through their news feeds. And I think at some point um, when they switched between full screen mode and switched back to Facebook's normal view, they could see a little open space on the left and the camera mm. app actually running in the background. And the question is, is why? Why do you Why do you need that camera app in the background while you're scrolling your news feed? Well, well I'm sure I could, we can think of several reasons why based on what we've been talking over past episodes. Mm-hmm. Number 1 for me is yeah, you know, it's uh, they just they need that currency, they need that data to be able to predict your future behavior and they'll get it
2: any way they can. And now going into this Facebook Portal stuff, which of course we've mentioned mentioned already as well. You know, this doesn't uh because the, the whole idea about this is basically almost kind of like a tablet kind of form factor, you know, and it's falling around with the camera and whatnot. I mean, maybe this is getting prepared for that, but I mean just it's uh Damn, they're making it so hard to, to trust them, even it, it was already hard to, to begin with. So.
0: Right, and it's not just you. It's everybody connected to you as well. Like you brought up Portal, for example. Uh, we, we know that the Facebook Portal app essentially not only captures you, but captures points of interest around you in the living room. So it can actually um, follow other people. Uh, and using the facial recognition technology. So, And we know this is nothing new. We, we know there was a, obviously, there was a major data b- breach scandal back in 2016 involving Cambridge Analytica, Yeah, which, which uh, of course, was just, you uh, know, it, was, it, it was, what was funny about that when I was revisiting the Cambridge Analytica data scandals. Yeah, as, as massive, and, and I'll get into it in a second, as massive as that was, I'm sure there were other, Problems, but this is one specifically that the mainstream media folk decided to focus in on because it was connected to the president, President Trump, right, and his campaign at the time. Because let's give some background here Cambridge Analytica, uh, I'm just actually uh, pulling this up uh, right now. So they had worked on the Trump's campaign and had improperly accessed over 50 million Facebook profiles, including users friends profile. And this all starts back in 2014 when Alexander Kogan developed an app called this is your digital life, Hmm. which about 270,000 people downloaded and they gave their personal info. And then Kogan unknowingly fed their data plus your friends data as well. Anybody who would subscribe to this, their friends data to Cambridge Analytica so that they could basically harvest that information, so they can make targeted political ads.
2: Man, there's so much underhanded, backdoor shenanigans going on. That's
0: yeah, and Joe, it's it's funny because, for example, I know that one of the big art, uh, articles recently was Tim Berners Lee, who was the creator yes. of the World Wide Web, is calling for this new contract. He feels that the internet is broken. The the, the World Wide Web that he envisioned isn't isn't living up to its. Uh, into what he envisioned in term and especially in terms of like data collection which he mentions briefly in there but more specifically he gets into um the usual stuff we're hearing about how how we can effectively deal with quote-unquote hate speech on the web so already that that kind of irks me when i hear that kind of stuff because it's like who who defines what hate speech is but regardless when he when he gets into data collection there's no real clear answers he says yeah we need to do something about this Mm -hmm. and we need to rein in on big tech and and i mean you even have like amnesty international now saying that um one of two scenarios has to happen with google and facebook and their uh over collection of data whereas a we have to maybe start looking at a subscription model so for example paying eight bucks a month to use face to to use a social media network that you know for sure is not collecting your data or b having more government influence which i don't necessarily agree with either so nobody really has any type of working solution for this, and the problem is when it comes down to, they they need the status, Joe. Like, for example, um, you've got Visa Canada saying that we, openly saying that we need this to predict your future behavior. They're not, they're not even hiding it anymore.
2: It's yeah. The, it, what's interesting about this, too, he made made mention with uh, Berners-Lee there, that uh, he laid out three uh, different, uh he's talking about the responsibilities of the, the three different groups. We're talking government, companies, and citizens, and I'll, 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 I'll read to everybody the what we got going on here. So for for the governments, he's saying that uh, that they should be ensuring everyone can connect to the web. Uh, second point: keeping the internet available to everyone all the time. And the third point: respecting and protecting people's rights to online privacy and data protection. So he's saying that those should be the, the responsibilities of the you know, of the government. Next, for the companies, which I'm assuming are the internet service providers and whatnot, making the internet affordable and accessible to everyone respecting and protecting people's privacy and personal data again, and developing technologies that encourage the best in humanity and challenge the worst. And then lastly, for citizens to be creators and collaborators of the web, build strong communities that respect civil discourse and human dignity and last fight for the web to remain open.
0: There's just a lot of doublespeak there, especially mm-hmm. when you can. It's a, like doublespeak. It's an Orwellian term where they're saying one thing but they made the complete opposite. Mm-hmm. Especially when you look at the companies who have already signed on to this contract for the web and they're they're very very spotty history not only with data collection but also with with again we I've talked about this at length about censorship and judge and, and who's allowed to speak on the web and what ideas were allowed to be exposed to. So. What I initially when I heard about this plan for the web, I thought, okay, this might be very utilitarian mm-hmm. and non-biased. But then, I'm I'm hearing more of those key words, clamping down on hate speech and, and all this stuff. I think we pretty much know what you guys mean when you refer to hate speech, and that could be anything that's uh, against the status quo or or against the left wing establishment <clears throat> narrative that all these companies tend to champion and preach. So. Are we going to see much of a change? I don't know, Joe. If they end up do breaking up big tech, the whole fear is that, well, all these little splinters will eventually grow into this, this the same scenario anyway. Mm-hmm. Data is currency. We're not going to get rid of that. I, I saw recently, and this will kind of tie into one of our later topics on the run too, where, uh, what's her name? Stacey, Stacey Madge of Visa Canada was ta- mm-hmm. when she's talking about a cashless society, Again, just the the need for prediction for predicting future behavior and how this all ties in. So, f- for any of these major figures to say that we're gonna start uh, telling face put Facebook and Google in a corner and say, oh, this this is how you're gonna be running business from now on, I just don't believe it. And especially when. Mark Zuckerberg talks about how he champions free speech, but yet in the same breath censors people he disagrees with, mm-hmm. and that we're we're going to fight to protect your data privacy. But then we see oh little bugs that turn on your camera. What, well, I'm sorry, we didn't realize. Bug that turned on your cam when you're reading your news feed. I, right. I just don't buy it anymore, Joe. I just don't trust any of this. And, and, and I'm sorry, that's a skeptic in me coming out. But I, at this point, what, what, what? Why do we need to trust these people when they've lied to our faces?
2: What's so amazing? And you had mentioned his name, with Zuckerberg, with Facebook. It always amazes me when the stuff happens that he's so oblivious and so close to going on. I'm like, dude, you're the head of the company, and you're telling me that you're not aware of any of this is going on. I mean, how much of the stuff in this company is car? Uh, you know, is kept to? Is it I can't even think of the proper word. that's just it's it's so confined to these little departments, and then that, that, that does not everybody not know what's going on? Like it just it's to me it just it's maybe it's being done that way so that certain people can wash their hands of it, like Zuckerberg, for example. But you know. <sighs> One of the great things about this platform that we do have here Micah, you know, we're we're we're, uh, we're a podcast and we have a platform here that, that is still relatively free and open so we can, you know, make people aware of kind of what's going on because you're not going to hear about this, you know, definitely on radio or, or on TV and newspapers if you still happen to read newspapers. So, we get to kind of Get the stuff out in the open for people to at least uh, be kind of aware what's going on because you don't hear about this stuff. Where if you do, you really have to kind of dig for it because it's not something that usually leaps off the uh, the screen or the page to you. Absolutely, and really,
0: what? Wh- okay, so let's see what are, what are solutions, Joe? Because the thing is, is that it's it's easy to to be negative and to, and to be like a tin foil <laughs> hat and to say the world's coming to an end, everything's bad. How do you deal with this? Really, at the end of the day, I mean, do you you need Facebook that badly in your life? And then that's a that's a loaded question. I mean, could you
2: live without Facebook, Joe? Personally, just me as a person, I could definitely live without it. Like I said, the the main purpose for Facebook for myself is promoting our podcast, our platform with Turbuckle Talk and uh, with us with the HTM Tech. Other than that, uh, I, I try, uh, I do sometimes get drawn to some conversations where I want to kind of get my two cents in there. But I mean, other than that, I, I, I try and avoid it at all, po- at all possible. And, and as for solutions, like you said, you know we could tear down these big tech companies, but then something else could rise up it's there's no clear solution we're we're just uh we're just kind of along for this ride and we're just kind of watching it unfold before our eyes
0: yeah And uh, like I mentioned, I did uh, recently deactivate my personal Facebook. I I kept a sub account under, you know, Gunstar Hero, just so I can be able to communicate with you, Mm -hmm. read news and such, and and really just kind of keep it as, like, very objective where I don't really post anything anymore. I don't interact. It's just more as a news reading device. Um, I'll be honest, Joe, when I turned off my – my personal Facebook, it really was a monkey off my back. Uh, yeah. I, I hate to admit this even to myself, but it was making me depressed. And that's another thing that um, Amnesty International yeah. was was talking about in their call to start regulating Google and Facebook. Everybody's talking about this, how is how behavior is changing with social media. And we see yeah. Instagram now starting to remove likes from posts and not being able to see how many people have liked your posts if you're looking at it publicly. You know, we, we've gotten so invested in this that it's starting to affect our behavior and mood. And for me, for example, you know, going from somebody who was very active and pretty successful in social media back in 2015, 16, during Gamergate and the Trump era, yeah. and then to just see my, my engagement stats just drop overnight once all the shadow banning started coming in. And then I started yeah. learning about how, you know, all Google and and YouTube and Twitter were all internally starting to create these algorithms to censor certain political views and then, if you don't realize it's even happening, you might think, "Oh, nobody likes me anymore." You know, nobody's nobody's responding to my posts anymore. Nobody's engaging with me. And and even if that's not happening, it's it's like this new dopamine hit scheme that we're all into, where it's like, if 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 nobody's reacting to my photo today, if nobody's liking it, that I'm a failure. You know, and, mm-hmm. I, and I need that attention. 24 hours a day where we, we just didn't have that prior to social media. And I, and I really think it's starting to bring out the worst in people. And I think number one, that was the reason I got rid of Facebook because it was starting to make me dislike people that I knew in real life for the wrong reasons. I just don't want to see you post your food anymore. I don't want to see you bitch yeah. and complain about every little thing of the sun. Stop acting like a giant baby online and stop airing your dirty laundry. I just, I was just like, you know what? I'm done. I'm out.
2: And, and and kind of crossing over into the other podcast I host with Turnbuckle Talk. Starting to see a lot of people when it came to professional wrestling discussions, the people just kind of hating for the sake of hating and just saying, mm-hmm. Oh, this sucks or this is this way. Okay. Uh, do you have a particular reason why, or do you have a solution to make it better? No, these people were just saying, Oh, I don't like this. I don't like it. I don't like this." Do, Anybody can say that. I mean if you don't have any kind of credibility or anything, you have to kind of back it up or something or give a reason or you know and, and anybody can just spew bullshit for lack of a better term and not have to back anything up. Anybody can sit behind a keyboard and just spew nonsense.
0: People need to stop drinking and going on social media. That's yes. my, that's my advice. <laughs> that's a good and point. also remember the internet never forgets. You can delete posts, but mm-hmm. if somebody really wants to mess with you and I've seen this happen
1: over and over
0: Number 1, the internet archive wayback <laughs> machine will capture that stuff. Number 2, people love to screenshot your yes. stuff if they really want to go after you at some point. So, yeah. the internet the internet's forever. Don't think that you can just uh you can just ship into the wind and that it's going to go away. Yeah. It it'll, it'll come back to bite you someday. So, really watch what you line and again, don't drink and go on social media. Yes.
2: It never turns out well. Absolutely not. So going from uh, from this to some positive stuff here, and I spoke later about things leaping off the screen at you, and I think this is probably possibly another good segue. We're talking 4K gaming and movies now. This is something I've had some personal experience with, and it's been very interesting. I got to say, uh, the, the the first time of playing a game or watching a movie on 4K, it's like wow, it's this, it's quite this experience. And then an interesting thing happens, much like anything else, you kind of get accustomed and I don't notice the difference so much anymore. Like, uh, obviously, you know, you know that the quality is there, but it's something that your, your body, just your eyes and everything, you just, you get accustomed to it. And I won't say it's, you don't notice the, the difference, but it just kind of becomes the norm. Well, specifically
0: your, your 4k experience is on the, is on the Xbox one X. Correct. Is that what you're rocking these days? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So give us an overall Okay, So, Give us a little breakdown. How, how effective is this as a, as a 4K machine?
2: It's been very good. Not every game supports it. Uh, the majority of it uh, does more of a support for what's called HDR, a high dynamic range. So you definitely see an improvement. It's not bumping up to the full 4K, but there are some exclusives. Uh, most of the sports games do. Uh, a lot of the first-party games like Halo and whatnot obviously do. And you see an increase in, in the frame rate, too. Now, now, this has both a good and a positive uh, thing. In some games, you know, the faster frame rate can almost kind of work against you a little bit, especially if you're used to uh, the, the 40, 30 frames or kind of something in between. So there's definitely accustomed to that. So, uh, uh, give an example, say, in a wrestling game and you're, you're about to get pinned and you go through that little mini game where you have to – Philip, uh, you have to go to that meter to click. That happens a lot quicker than what you're initially used to, so there's an adjustment period. So it, it's, it's, it's an interesting transition going from just uh, high-definition gaming to going to the 4K. It, it's, uh, it, it's been very interesting, and uh, it, it definitely, graphics-wise, is very impressive. It really kind of gets into it, especially if you have a nice big screen and a good sound system
0: and the thing about uh any anybody looking to uh, from a console perspective right now because you can there's there's main, there's all these different facets you've got the 4K gaming you also have 4K movie watching which we'll That's touch cool. upon as well mm-hmm. but right now in terms of 4K gaming uh, you know if if you're not a PC player your your options come down to basically stadia Mm-hmm or PS4 Pro-ish, or Xbox One X. And the last two I just mentioned, neither of those are truly 4K machines. The Xbox One X is the closest you're going to get, where, like you said, there are uh, select titles that can do 4K 60 frames a second. Others are mimicking it through... What was the term again? I think it was through there was this way, oh, checkerboarding, which is what yes. the PS4 Pro does to mimic 4K. The, the PS4 Pro is not a 4K machine, it's a 4K like machine. And, and I'll be honest, that's that's really that's the only experience that I've sort of had with 4K gaming up to this point. I've mm-hmm. I've held out. I was originally gonna buy a ps4 pro and then when the ps5 got announced and with the backwards compatibility well, i said well there's there's no point now there's no point in spending yeah. 500 dollars on this thing when i'm just in another year from now i'm actually going to be playing a true 4k yeah. native device but for now if you can't wait and you're not an xbox guy and ps4 and you're and chromecast is Ugh, I mean, like, Stadia is just getting worse by the week, to be uh-huh. honest. Ever since we yep. first talked about it, it's just, I, I think that's a total dumpster fire. I don't i want to get into that right now. But <laughs> PS4 Pro, I've had, I've had some experience watching at my brother's place. Yep. Uh, watching, for example, NBA 2K19 on it mm-hmm. looks absolutely gorgeous. Lifelike, yep. And it's, you know, even though it's not 4K, I went and bought 2K19 myself, mm-hmm. but I'm only still rocking the launch PS4 right now. Yep it almost looks like a PS3 game in comparison. It like gets that market of a difference. Yeah. Between, even though it's not true 4K, at least it's something. But mm-hmm. I'd say at this point, if you already have a PS4 Pro, I would not advise buying a PS... I'm sorry, an original PS4. I would probably not advise buying a PS4 Pro at this point, just kind of wait for the PS5. But if you have never bought a PlayStation before, I would say PS4 Pro is probably your better entry point. Mm-hmm. It really depends on your budget what's funny about this joe i'll swing it back to you in a sec is when i was doing research for this topic i i didn't realize i, I learned a lot about the difference in 4k monitors and, and what's appropriate for what's available now and mm-hmm. what's coming in the future and it there's a lot of things that we should probably get into that before it's kind of like a consumer awareness thing that people should know before they start going out and buying these 4k monitors especially black friday um Boxing Day people line up to buy these cheap 4Ks not realizing that they may not be properly equipped for the upcoming PS5 and Project Scarlet.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting, with um, first of all, with the, the 4K televisions, they've really, really significantly dropped in price. Like When they first Massive. came on the market uh, over, over the last year or two, they've really dropped in price, and it's become a lot more accessible to the average consumer out there. Uh, and Even if you're lucky like myself, and you find one that was mislabeled price-wise, winning me. So that was, kind of, that was a cool little win there. Uh, now when it comes to, you had mentioned, bumping up to 8K possibly. What's interesting when you do some investigating to find out what the actual highest resolution to what a human being can actually see to, to give you a little bit of perspective here from a viewing distance of about 20 inches away from a screen, your eye can't discern more than about 170 pixels per inch. Anything more than that, you can't tell the difference between that or anything higher from that distance away. So as you kind of get further away, that number climbs a little bit, but 8K, like it's, it's getting to the point where, again, is this more technology kind of really worth it and a significant thing? I think we're getting into the realm where the difference between 4 and 8K is just going to be the price.
0: <laughs> it's going to come down to size, especially if, if with in regards to 4K. With 8K, I'd say that if you want never want to go to the movie theater again, you want to just have, say, like a 75-inch, 80-inch display in your basement. Yeah. Yeah, sure. I think that's appropriate because maybe at a certain point, 4K is not is going to hit a wall, and you're going to have to go a little bit bigger. But even with 4K, a lot of people who are getting these smaller monitors. You're not going to see much of a difference, to be honest. Especially, no. and this is I'm talking to the PC gamers. No. At some point, you're really you're not going to notice anything. And then on top of that, there there's refresh rate, which is one of the biggest things people need to take in consideration that a lot yeah. of people may not realize that 60 Hertz is tends to be the minimum and is probably the standard thus far. And, mm-hmm. and to be honest, Xbox one X and PS four pro were built for 60 Hertz refresh rates. So they're, they're totally fine in, in that regard. Mm-hmm. But then when you start looking at competitive games, for example, say Bethesda's doom or, or overwatch or something, you're actually going to start to see performance issues when you're going at 60 hertz refresh rate that what i've been seeing actually i've been looking at a couple different youtube channels for example Mm -hmm. pc centric when he talked about his 4k gaming worth it on his video from september 13th of this year uh and then another channel too linus tech they both say that the sweet spot really right now for competitive gaming is 144 hertz you can go 60 i think 144 and then i think 280 or something which might be too much 144 For the next level, especially when you start getting into next-gen, like PS5, Xbox One X, you don't want to be cheaping out on a TV because you may not necessarily get the best experience. Now, if you're playing cinematic games, may not matter that much, especially stuff that plays at 30 frames or that moves a bit slower. But if you are a competitive gamer, you want to know what you're getting into before you plop down the money on this stuff. And you mentioned HDR, and especially with these higher refresh rates, oh, okay, yeah, 4K TVs may seem cheap, but that's bottom level. Yeah, once you actually start to get into what you require for this next generation gaming, you're still going to be paying a pretty penny for these these monitors.
2: Yeah, so it's going to be curious to to see how that kind of evolves. Like I said, getting past 4K, I mean, for for it to be really kind of meaningful, like we're going to need big massive screens You know, in my screen, I think this is, I think it's either 55 or 58 inch, and that's plenty big enough for me. Uh, Anything bigger than that, honestly, it wouldn't even fit in here, and I don't have probably the 15 grand to spend on it either. So 15 grand for an 8K right now. And like I said I, on the previous
0: episode, I was listening to somebody who said they went into a Best Buy watching an 8K display running at uh, I think it was 120 frames a second yeah. and they were getting motion sickness from it. Just yeah. it was just too much.
2: Yeah. Yeah, we're definitely getting into, into that realm and we're going we're going thinner, we're going lighter. It's a uh, yeah, it's, these guys are taking cues from Apple's uh, design philosophy where we're going lighter and thinner and lighter and thinner and lighter, and lighter and thinner and to the point where you can only go so far. One thing before we move on from this topic, Joe, is we, we, we
0: didn't really touch on movies that much. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so your Xbox One X, uh, now the PS4 Pro we know, does not play 4K Blu-rays, which mm-hmm. is interesting considering Sony was yep. the one who originally championed uh-huh. that technology during PS3 yep. and saved it. Uh, so, have you actually watched an, an, uh, a a four K Blu Ray yet on your on your Xbox One X?
2: Yeah, absolutely. It, it's it's almost hyper realistic. If, uh, if I could think of a term to kind of use, there, it, it, it's it, it's it's right on the boundary of being a little too much. Like mm. I, like even if, if it's a really long movie, for crossing over to three hours it can be a little nauseating to kind of watch. And I think especially if you start kind of closing the distance towards the screen, I, I would definitely recommend if you're going to watch a true 4k uh, movie on a 4k Blu-ray on a, on a, bigger screen, sit back a little bit further. And I, I think that, that'll kind of help your experience out. Cause I, I think being a little too close, uh, can affect that too. And it's, it, it gets, it, it can almost hurt your, your, your head, if that makes any sense.
0: Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. And then, then you also get into the the debate of okay, so obviously a lot of streaming services are providing 4K content. For example, no. YouTube jumped in this fairly early. Netflix no. is doing this now. Then you also have Blu-rays as well, which we already mentioned. So, do you have you have you been able to compare the quality of of streaming 4K
2: versus Blu-ray 4K? I've watched some 4K content uh, streaming off of YouTube as well it's not that much different, honestly. It, um, it's, it's pretty much the same except you're streaming it. Whereas, uh, you're coming off locally off of a disc, uh, especially if you have a high, uh, internet, uh, if you have a high bandwidth of your internet, the, the difference is pretty negligible, honestly, from my experience. But, like I said, I think, I think I have kind of a sweet spot with the size of my screen. Anything bigger than that, I think would just be a little too much because, uh, to give, give everybody kind of some scope, I would say I'm probably about, my couch is probably about five to six feet away from the screen, which I think is a, is a pretty good, uh, distance armament. Being a little back a little bit further would probably be ideal, but you don't want to be too close to these big high definition screens. It just, it becomes, like I said, it almost becomes a little nauseating, not, not quite to the feel like you want to puke, but getting close and when like i said when you get into these long movies you was got to kind of take a break and just kind of take a breather and walk away from it and then come back
0: wow yeah. uh, that was interesting you mentioned something about uh, having a great connection speed though and that and i think that's for me especially being a collector and a believer in physical media yeah. that's still i think the sticking point where where there's still a market for four gay blu-rays because yep. like you said you have a fairly optimal internet connection and you don't see the difference whereas you actually have to have that because whereas with with 4K Blu-ray, it's already sampling at a very high bit rate and what you get is what you get on that disc. And then uh, we've talked about this before, preservation, right? right? So at the end of the day, you don't need an internet connection to play a Blu-ray. You own that thing. It's not tied to any subscription service. And we've seen this in the past where when some of these companies starting to get into legal disputes and then maybe a certain show or certain movie might get, mm taken off the service and then what do you do at that point so i get there's convenience but at the same time there's also the memory hole factor too so there's definitely a place for for physical media Mm -hmm. in this future i don't think it's going anyway anyway any away anytime soon and then kind of jumping back to gaming for a second it's interesting that the ps5 we know is going to have a disk drive and there's rumors that it's going to have cartridges too Either maybe for memory expansion, or maybe the games could be on this. But mm-hmm. then I'm also hearing that Project Scarlet, by contrast, is considering going discless.
2: Ooh, that that's um, it's very very interesting. And you see some different, some contrasting styles there uh, with this Project X Cloud stuff like that. Yeah, I could kind of see uh, that possibly being the case. Yeah, it's interesting.
0: But you can still download the game. So at the at the time being it still has that edge over over stadio yeah. again it's just like what a what a dumpster fire speaking about 4k i recently they actually blamed the developers for any lapses in 4k performance specifically they were getting a lot of flack for red dead redemption 2 not yeah. even running up to xbox one x standards mm. under really good conditions they said well that's yeah. that's rockstar it's not us right yeah whoever that is there's just a lot of issues with stadium. I, and at this point I, I can't recommend it at all.
2: I can't, I can't either, you know, and, and back on the physical media, when, when you do go into some of your retailers, like when you go into Walmart, when you go into Best Buy, uh, if you're lucky enough to have a place like sunrise or something in your area where they actually still sell some physical media, I mean, it just, the, the quantity and the amount of choices there, it's dwindling. Almost kind of every time I go, the, the, the areas seem to get smaller and smaller and more condensed, like you said, I don't think it'll ever fully go away, at least for the time being, but it's definitely turning in, in a direction away from it. But uh, as somebody, you know, our listeners can't see, but Mike can see, I mean, I, I have a collection of, you know, movies and games and stuff here that, uh, you know, I don't maybe have quite the collection that you have behind you there, but uh, I do like to have my physical stuff as well. And you and I are old school, and I, I like to have something I can hold on to.
0: And like I said, it doesn't require an internet connection in most cases, so Absolutely. it's there. For you, five years down the road, 10 years down the road, as long yeah. as the stuff still works, it's there. We talked about stuff getting delisted and eventually you can't access it anymore. To, mm-hmm. so, to, And then that, uh, and then there's the uh, the extra advantage of these phys- certain physical media going up in value. So even as an investment, it's it's not a bad, bad thing to keep in mind. Absolutely.
2: So before we have our final bite segment for the week, let's do our tech tip of the week here. And this does revolve around Apple users. And this is something that... Uh, actually my mom recently had an issue with and I was able to help her on, but this is actually something that I've heard quite a few people that are on the Apple platform have had issues with where they've, you know, they've bought content, whether it be music, whether it be TV episodes or movies. And this tends to happen when people change their devices. You know, if you're, if you upgrade quite a bit or you know you've owned quite a few devices, there it's almost there it seems to be kind of like a sinking kind of issue on there's a few ways to solve this problem, and I'll say nine times out of ten the solution is to just sign out of your account on whatever device that you're on and then sign back in. And that tends to kinda of almost be kind of like a refresh, almost like if you were to reset your modem type of thing, where it kind of refreshes things a little bit and then things come back over. If that doesn't work, um If you're on a computer, you can kind of deauthorize and authorize the device, and that'll kind of kickstart it. And if that doesn't doesn't work, which uh, both of those things should, contact Apple. They have world-class support there. A lot of times it just takes them flipping a switch on their end, and they can sync things back up on their end. Yeah. You'll never have an issue dealing with them every time that I've dealt with them. With the phone, those people have always been fantastic, always been a big positive with, with Apple. But for most people out there, if you're having time problems with your purchases not showing up, just signing out of your account, signing back in will typically fix that problem. And also make sure that you have that your device is also upgraded to the most recent version. Uh, that uh, can kind of cause a bit of a conflict there sometimes too.
0: Yeah, just from an Android perspective, too, uh, specifically, I use Google Music for for certain things. Yep. Um, I haven't had this issue yet, but I d- was looking this up to see if other people did. And and it's something similar to what you're saying. Yep. If you're having issues accessing your li- your library, what you do is you go into your phone settings on your Samsung or whatever their Android device you're using, uh, go to Google Music, clear the cache, clear yep. the cookies, and then do a four-stop. And then relaunch your device and then go to your library and everything should be there. It's actually not too complicated, but just a couple extra steps you may have to go into.
2: Yeah, for sure. There's definitely a similar solution for the Android users out there. Uh, for Windows, I don't really know what to tell you.
0: <laughs> just stop buying Windows phones.
2: Yeah, And uh, as for Windows on on PCs, uh, you luckily don't have that problem because, well, they don't really have any kind of streaming service that they offer or anything like that. So it's really a Mm non-issue. But I'm not a Windows hater as much as I am an Apple person. I'm not going to hate on Windows. It does serve its purpose. And I'll I'll leave it at that. (laughs) (laughs) Because that's a whole other debate and topic all in itself. Possibly in the future, yes. Yes, absolutely. Okay, so we're going to take a brief break here, and we are going to come back with our final bite segment. One word, money. Be right back. This is Big Joe from Turnbuckle Talk here, and you're listening to HTM Tech right here on the HTM Podcast Network. All right, guys, Big Joe and Mike back here on HTM Tech. All right man, final bite segment time and this is an interesting one here. And one that one that I think you're uniquely positioned to to talk about here because I know you do deal in this uh, industry. We're talking about moving away from paper and just physical money and going to everything being digital, everything in the cloud, everything being kind of in the ether so to speak. Is real money dead? at this point, or is it on life support? Or do you think that, I mean, obviously, I think at some point we're not going to have physical money like in our hands anymore. But we're we're definitely transitioning towards that. It's becoming more and more prevalent.
0: It's on life support, and it's really going to come to, it's a generational thing. It's really going to come down to anybody who's accustomed to using money and working with that. Once those people start dying out, this new generation doesn't care about money. They're all about digital, about using their wallets, whether it's mm-hmm. Apple Pay, Google Pay, doing everything online with debit or credit. I mean, we're all and as we're starting to see in India, even that is on its way out. So. Yeah, there's definitely a convenience factor. I can't lie. I mean, I I rarely ever carry cash on me too. There's a security thing. I was talking to my mom about this. She said she doesn't feel comfortable carrying cash on her. I'll be honest, even me, you know, you never know if you lose your wallet or it gets stolen. It's, it's, there's definitely a convenience factor to just being able to tap your debit card to be able to program your credit cards into your phone as you're showing me right now. So, uh, tell me where you kind of stand on this since you're your whole, I I can see that you are most likely an Apple pay user. Tell us about your experiences with that.
2: It's, when it comes to security, uh, how it works. Uh, sorry, I hit the, the, the mic arm there with this. Uh, so I can kind of show Mike here. How this kind of works is essentially, like you said, you kind of program your bank card into it. And since this is a newer iPhone, it uses what's called Face ID. So what basically what happens is you bring attention to your phone and you double-click the home button and then it, re- it reads your face and then you hold it near the, the terminal. So to be able to do that, it, it, you have to... It has to be able to recognize your face. Your eyes can't be closed. It can't be a picture. Uh, it, it's and what uh, what is interesting with this too, and I'm not sure if this works on Android Pay, but this will even work when I'm not connected to data dat at all. So whether I'm uh, I, even if I'm not connected to Wi-Fi, or I'm not connected to my, my wireless, it still will process the payment and then as soon as I reconnect then it'll send it through because there's a little chip on here. I forget exactly what they call it, but all this kind of stuff is kind of stored even right on your device to to help make it quicker or whatnot. So and the experience is pretty good and the security is better than just tapping a, just tapping a regular bank card. It is more secure. Yeah, and I just got
0: introduced to this literally the other night when my banking app got updated mm-hmm. to include um, facial recognition and fingerprint scans. And yep. I'd say it, it, that is kind of comforting to know that even beyond a pin, that for now, that if, I, if somebody finds my phone, it's it's pretty hard to get in. Although I, I just thought of something literally while you were talking <laughs> right now. It's like, could you maybe just, I, I don't know if this is possible, could you maybe get a photo of your face if somebody really wanted to hack your phone, put a picture in front of it, or is it a it little bit more... Work. I'm sure it's a lot more advanced than
2: that. It right? would, yeah, I don't think you can... I'm sure they thought of that. It won't, it won't work with, with... No, I can't speak for the Android PayPal f- platform, but I can say for the Android... Uh, pay or for the pixel phone uh, the new pixel you can actually (laughs) unlock the phone even if your eyes are closed so technically someone beside you could hold your phone to your face even while you're sleeping and unlock the phone that you can't do with the iphone you actually you have to actually be paying attention and it has to see your eyes that's the main main difference between face id on the apple platform and whatever they're calling it over on the android side
0: Yeah, it's an overall testament to Apple in general just being a lot more of a secure device. And and really, when you think about it, you do get what you pay for. So it's not only really great architecture and great design, but you're also paying for that extra security. So I'll definitely give my hat off to Apple in that regard. But while we're on the topic of security, Joe, Mm -hmm. security can be defined many different ways. Sure. So you're talking about one type of security well, in terms of securing your identity, securing your wallet. But what about the idea of of trading insecurity for liberty Mm -hmm. so for example this is my big sticking point with a quote-unquote cashless society and and regardless i think we're going there i mean already china is pretty much already there where i'd say the majority of the population now does everything through social media through the, what's it called? The what's me app or something like that, where everybody does their transactions. It's all done through, through social context. And even now it's gotten so advanced where, for example, waitresses in, in restaurants in China will have QR codes on their shirts Uh. that you can scan to tip them. And, and panhandlers have QR codes. Like nobody, (laughs) nobody's dealing with cash anymore. Whereas in the West, we haven't really quite gotten there, but we're we're, we're trending that way. Especially when you talk yeah. to like I, like I mentioned earlier in the episode, I was watching this one speech by what's the other name again? I keep forgetting the name. Stacey Madge of Visa can uh, Visa Canada talk arguing for a cashless Canada. Yeah, I don't like the idea of being tracked on everything I do financially. I like that freedom of cash. And then, yeah. but then again, others would argue that that's what fuels crime and the black market where this is where we we're going to get into india in a sink and this yeah. is essentially why they started banning cash that according to uh Pr- prime minister modi it was basically his efforts to crack down on all this uh, corruption and black market activity by slowly eliminating cash and yeah. relying more on digital payment methods to the point now where they're even saying by 2020 everything's gonna be biometrics in india there's not going to be debit c- cards credit cards cash you're basically going to be paying for things with your thumbprint and your retina mm-hmm. what do you think about that
2: yeah like you said it's definitely the way that that's going and i didn't think of the the cash thing that way when it comes to the illegal the black market whatnot but uh, that's a very good point i, I they can't
0: track you with cash you get cash yeah. it is it's what it is no, like no. there's no digital imprint to it
2: yeah now this whole cashless thing too it does have its disadvantages. Uh, I've had experience with, uh, myself when it comes to PayPal. Now, I don't know if you use PayPal at all, Mike, or if you've had any experience with it. Um, I don't use PayPal anymore because I had I was actually frauded to the tune of about three hundred fifty dollars uh, when it comes to PayPal. So I uh, I. Tried to appeal with them, and again, similar to dealing with Amazon when it comes to trying to talk to an actual person with these companies. They're basically like a faceless corporation, and when you try and talk to a person, oh boy, is it inconvenient, and they make you feel like you're inconveniencing them, even though it has to do with your money that you've worked hard for, and... What do you mean that there's a problem? Well, there can't be a problem. It must be you. No, no, you're frauding us. No, no, no. You guys are just giving me a hard time and you're being assholes at this point. You know, the boy, they gave you the runaround. I'm like, no, I was fraud. It was literally fraud that happened. And then now they like to flip it back. In. Oh, no, no. You're the one that's frauding us. No, screw you. <laughs> You know, like,
0: you, you just made a great point, Joe, because that's the thing now with our reliance on not going face to face anymore, but doing everything over the phone or email digitally in terms of our finances, you're dealing with these call centers where they have to I work in a call center in a financial call center. Yep, There's heavy security risks there. There's a lot of authentication that has to happen before you can give the, somebody the keys to the kingdom to be able to access their account online. You don't know who you're dealing with, uh, what, like from the call center agent's perspective. But then from your perspective, it's like you don't know, who, like they don't know who you are, and they, uh, do they even care when they can when they can't see you face to face? And everything's so compartmentalized. The thing too is now with with adding all these extra digital layers to banking, that's only just increased fraud. Like I've never seen it on this level from yeah. from a finance industry perspective, where new scams are coming out. Every single day, and, and to be honest, I can't blame some of my customers for saying, "No, I don't want online access. Just leave me alone. I'll come into a branch as long as you guys exist because I don't want my data compromised." Because I don't. We we again, that's what we've been talking about all episode. These companies say one thing that, "Oh, we're all about protecting your data and privacy mm-hmm. and blah 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 blah," but then they just give it away without even without even telling you, and then they, and you find out about it two or three years later. I, I, I don't know, Joe. It's it's again, like I say, I, we're we're in this whole society of convenience now, where we want everything to be quick, but at, at what cost?
2: You knew, you had mentioned these companies being all about privacy and whatnot, and when you if you really kind of break it down and look at it very literally, yeah. But I mean, but then when they take your data and then farm it out or send it to other people. You know that's kind of almost like their workaround. Well, it's like, well, that's not us. Like once once it leaves us, it's not our problem anymore. You know, they're just kind of washing their hands of it. It's essentially, kind of what's happening there. So,
0: but like I said, there's there's not. It's not all bad. There there's no. definitely. There are some advantages, like I said. I mean, I the, the whole thing in India with with uh, ditching cash, ditching credit cards. Because here's the thing: this all was born out of the fact that we, we've got like a population of I think 1.3 billion in India, and I think four out of ten people weren't even weren't even registered in any database, had no birth certificate, no social security number. Uh, I think it was like four out of ten births were completely unregistered. Like there was all these undocumented citizens. And especially with a lot of the poverty, not having access to getting checking or savings accounts. So what the, the government developed was this nationwide ID system where they take your biometric data, put it put into a centralized database, and now they know everything about you. they got all your personal details, but that also gives you access to it was called the ADHAR system, A A D H A A R. If you want to look yeah. that up, but then again, it also gives them access to the Paytm system, which now you're you've been seeing like all these street vendors are able to scan QR codes and accept payments that way. So I'd say if if it's gonna happen, at least we're democratizing it to the point where I'd say entrepreneurs have a lot more flexibility. In terms of collecting payment and and funding uh, themselves, I actually just saw something tonight before we recorded mm-hmm. that it was actually on the post millennial talking about how Samsung is going to revolutionize um, like entrepreneurship with their new app that just launched October 22nd, where now you can actually download an app onto your galaxy that will accept debit card and tr- credit card and QR up to hundred bucks. So now let's mm. say you're a personal trainer mm. and you got to meet clients. You want to drag all these dongles and all this infrastructure around with you. You can take your gym bag and your phone, accept payments from it. Or let's say, because you know, everybody's got a side hustle now, life's expensive. Maybe you've got a little bakery you want to run out of your kitchen yeah. and you don't want to have to invest all this infrastructure. I, I think that's kind of cool that you can actually do this now. You can just yeah. hold up your phone, uh, scan your debit card, and boom, you've accepted your payment and there's no other middleman.
2: Yeah. Now, you had mentioned India and and scams, um, two terms which aren't mutually exclusive <laughs> in, a, in this uh, particular case here. But um, I don't know if you've ever gotten a call. But a very popular scam out there has to do with uh, taxes. And I've gotten this call. Keep couple... this up. Keep going. Yeah, I, I've actually gotten a call about this recently, and they say, "Oh, you owe a certain number of thousands of dollars worth in, in back taxes, and if you don't pay, the police are going to come to your door." But you can, we can pay it over the phone. And I said, "Okay, well, how can I pay this?" And the first option that he had mentioned, well, you can get a Walmart gift card and pay this off. I'm like, "What?" The, gov- the government wants me to to pay taxes and I can pay them back with a walmart gift card like and, and the sad part about this is that it's is the, the way that's being done is at the beginning they're using kind of fear to to kind of scare you and these people are gullible especially maybe some elderly people are are being suckered in by this
0: I deal with this all the time absolutely because they're they're getting better and better at disguising themselves yep. to the point where they can even spoof your display but like I said, if if you really are paying attention, you look at the number coming on your display, and yeah. it's starting with like a nine oh five. Yeah. yeah, you know, you're you're probably. And it's funny you mentioned Walmart. Yeah. Yeah. Typically, iTunes cards are the offenders in yeah. these scenarios, so maybe yeah. they're trying to change their tactics. Or and unfortunately, but- they're,
2: they're, and unfortunately, they're hard to spot because they have the cover. And this is going to sound incredibly racist, but they they sound like an Indian call center person, which I mean, that's pretty much a large majority of them. So when you hear them talking, it's like, oh. Okay, like, because I want virtually, I would say 95% of the time when I call in to somewhere, they have a foreign accent, just saying. Yeah, i know it's, it's true because, like I said, uh, where are where our, our major
0: technological brains coming from? It's coming from those regions. Uh, another big scam uh, to be aware of is it's so stupid, but people keep falling for it. They'll call you and say there's been unauthorized transactions on your visa. Mm-hmm. Now, OK, it's yep. not stupid insofar as that a lot of us have one, but they're even calling people who don't even have a visa. Yep. And that's that's the dead giveaway. But it, like I said, you know they, they they overuse these scams, and when they start to realize they're not working, they'll come up with new ones. And like I said, these fraudsters have nothing better to do than to sit around all day and think of these schemes. Wow, imagine if you spent all that time and effort actually getting a job imagine how productive right. you'd be at that point yeah. but but that's that's another subject altogether so the the other one you know, that,
2: the other one yeah. that I had recently before we, before we finish off here was uh, I guess it's relatively harmless when you kind of think about it but it, it's still pretty funny I'll mention it anyways it's another word, personal experience of mine where I got a call and it was somebody who was claiming to be some kind of technical support and they were saying, oh, I, I see that you're having numerous uh, problems with your desktop computer. And, uh, you know, I'd be happy to, to log in remotely to your computer and, and help you out. And, whatnot. And, and so I kind of played along, and I got to the point, point. Well, this is actually just recently, and... So I said, okay, what, what, what kind of computer are you showing that I have on your end in there? And he was like, well, I, I see that you're having some issue with your 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 Dell Windows 10 uh, desktop computer. And I was like, that's really, really interesting because I happen to be running a 2019 iMac. <laughs> so, and he goes, no, 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 sir, you are mistaken. I see you were having trouble with your Dell uh, desktop computer. And I was like, no, you're mistaken, and I'm going to hang up the phone now. Thank you very much, sir
0: oh man man it's it's you can have some fun with these people too yeah. that that's what i, I like yeah. to do actually yeah. I like to try to see how long i can keep yeah. them going for yeah. and play along yeah. to get them frustrated
2: and waste their time but having um, issues with windows yeah yes clearly oh issues yeah with there, you nailed
0: it buddy yeah absolutely <laughs> so here here yeah. it is guys like so are we going cashless um i'd say in the west it's gonna be okay well i'm Canada, geez, We're we're for anything that's going to take our freedoms away. We're we're totally for it. We're we're sure. cucks here. Let's just be completely honest. The states different animal. Yeah. We know that those Americans are very freedom oriented and still are are all about those constitutional freedoms. And to hope to kind of wrap things up, I did yeah. read an article, a very short one. This was on Forbes, November 21st, entitled called entitled uh, America going cashless, don't bank on it. So they talked about, for example, uh, um, what was it? Some companies actually did try to experiment going cashless. For example, one was called sweet green and Mm. there was actually a backlash. Uh, consumers didn't like this fact and they actually had to modify the system to start accepting cash. And they said, the big thing is that I think it was about 14 million adults in the U S can't afford or have access to a checking or savings account where, so that's the thing. So they still require cash to do their transactions. Mm. Like I mentioned, this was solved in India by getting everybody to agree to opt into a biometric centralized data system. Yeah. I just don't see that concept flying anytime soon in the United States. In mm. Canada, for sure. We, we love giving up everything over here. But in the States, I can see still see there being a holdout. But that's also, like I said, a generational thing, Joe. Mm-hmm. As we start to move forward in the next decade or two, these these millennials in Generation Z, this is how they were brought up. So they're not going to care anymore. They're going to want that convenience. Mm-hmm. And, and I'll be honest, a lot of these youngins just don't value freedom anymore. They mm-hmm. they would prefer to trade it for security. Uh, if you want to challenge me on that, please speak up. But the, again, I'm not trying to paint a whole generation with a big brush, but I, I, I see what I see. So...
2: And uh, over in Europe, I will say probably one of the first countries that would probably get on board with that would probably be France, because we are notoriously good at just kind of giving up and surrendering, and then uh, I surrender, yeah, right. Uh, which slightly off topic, but I remember hearing in history about the uh, the French resistance during World War II. I remember thinking as a kid, I'm like, that doesn't make sense because we don't resist at all. <laughs> And this is coming from a French person, so I can make fun of myself.
0: Exactly. Yeah. But exactly. we did. Well, we did Even it. If you weren't, who cares? People get a backbone. <laughs> f- comedy is comedy, and stop getting offended over but, everything. But
2: we actually did resist a little bit there, and we actually did end up uh, doing <laughs> some good there. So, all right. Before we do wrap up for this week, Mike, we're getting enough with some music, and you have the pick this week. So tell us a little bit about uh, our song for this week here.
0: All right. Mm-hmm. So we're gonna play some Metric. This is a band out of Toronto. Actually, they've been around for quite a while. This is going to be off their fifth album, Synthetica, out of 2012. This is the song Youth Without Youth. So this is just, I don't know, this came on during this week. I thought this would be a great way to, to make a first impression on my musical picks. Uh, a nice thumper. This actually was the first song in history to debut at number one on the Canadian Alternative Rock charts. So I hope you enjoy it.
2: All right, we'll see you guys on the next. Peace, guys.